Welcome, I'm Anna Varga and this is Worlds Within, an exploration of Tantra and mystic spirituality to reawaken our curiosity about our inner life and our connection to the divine. I wonder if perhaps you're the sort of person who longs for more rich spiritual connection in your life but is not sure where to access this outside of the confines of formal religion or rigid spiritual communities that we don't necessarily align with totally. For example, maybe you have fond memories of singing hymns in church as a child or the peaceful feeling of kneeling before an altar and taking a moment of prayer, but you can't bring yourself to return to those spaces because you don't align with the institution of the church and all of its teachings. Or that could apply to any type of spiritual community that you've been curious about or come across but don't quite feel fully comfortable immersing in. Today we're unpacking the question, what is a mystic? Because it's a question that can empower us to become someone who is more able to draw upon the wisdom of religion and formalized spirituality and lineages of spirituality. In other words, to become someone who can feel comfortable and at home amongst spiritual teachings and communities while still maintaining a real sense of personal freedom and autonomy in the way that we live out our spiritual life. And perhaps a better question than what is a mystic would be who is a mystic or perhaps even what is mystic spirituality and we'll explore all of this. I created this episode because if you know me, you know I have a really strong desire for us as a collective to be able to reclaim the word God, the idea of God and the meaning of God in a way that is relevant to our time because until we do that, our spiritual conversation is pretty bland at the heart of a spiritual life is a connection to the divine, a connection to God. And if we're treading on eggshells around that word and what we actually mean by the divine, then we're going to struggle to really ever get right to the heart of that conversation and what we are experiencing and what we want to share with each other. So exploring mysticism can just be one way that can help us to do this reclaiming of the words and ideas that we perhaps shy away from in everyday conversation that we don't fully claim as our own because of the connotations that they might have. Mystic spirituality is not a religion. It's not a spiritual tradition of its own. It's more like a lens through which one sees the world and approaches their spiritual life. What unites the writings and teachings of the great mystics throughout the centuries is a real sense of love that permeates their connection with the divine. When I say love, I'm talking about something that is often referred to as the feminine principle in spiritual discourse. And I tend to prefer to avoid using the words feminine and masculine so much. So instead of feminine principle, I'm going to be using this idea of spirituality having a really sacred heart that is the sometimes forgotten core of spirituality that centers on compassion, forgiveness, forgiveness and reverence for all of life. 
And it centers on those things above all else. So above all the kind of bells and whistles and rules and regulations of what formalized religion and formalized spiritual groups can can make our spirituality about, the sacred heart of spirituality is this compassion, forgiveness, reverence for all life. So the mystic is experiencing the divine as beautiful and benevolent and seeking to be that to be like that the mystic is not tainted by the idea of god being like a scary judge and executioner who punishes and sets rules they experience god as a loving presence and it's their very own personal connection to this loving presence that allows them to strip back the teachings of whatever religion or culture they find themselves in and become free from any of the dogma or the doctrine, so the formal rules of that religion that aren't actually in alignment with the sacred heart or with their own personal experience of the divine. So essentially, where spirituality has been hijacked by patriarchy and by a desire for power and control and where religion has become caught up in governance the mystic reclaims the sacred heart of the teachings and almost burns down the rest so for example we have poets like Rumi, Hafiz, Kabir who are Sufi Sufism is the mystical branch of Islam, so it takes Islamic spiritual ideas as taught via the Quran and other formalized texts, and it views them or lives them through a mystical lens. We have from Hafiz this poem. He wrote, Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, You owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. And so we can gather from this writing, from this perspective, that Hafiz has tapped into a personal relationship between human and the divine, represented here as sun and the earth, that is completely benevolent. Nobody owes anybody. There is not the transactional quality that we find in the formal religions that says, God will only love you if you do X, Y, or Z. Or God will favor you if you sacrifice this or act in this certain way. There is none of that. This is the reclaiming of the sacred heart. And you can perhaps feel from the way that poetry like that lands in your body, there is something very inclusive and very inspiring about it. It elevates us to see the world in this mystical way. And in the process of that, there's kind of a falling away of some of the resistance within us. There are Jewish mystics, Hindu mystics. Mystics exist within every spiritual tradition as the ones who choose to see and live the heart of the teachings as pathways to connect with the divine rather than merely acting out their religion as a set of rules that was handed to them. You could also say that In the yoga world, we have classical yogis who practice in a more regimented way, following very particular rules and perhaps even believing that there's one best way or right way to practice. 
And then there are tantric yogis who, I mean, there are plenty who go down that same pathway of thinking that there's one right way. But in general, the tantric approach to yoga is very much like as if they're the mystics of yoga, carving out more individualized ways of practicing the teachings and continuing to reinvent the teachings to suit their time and place. We have as well Christian mystics like Teresa of Avila or in more modern times, Father Richard Rohr, who take the teachings of Christianity and again, view them or live them through a mystical lens, living them really wholeheartedly and making them their own, which, for example, in Christianity means perhaps casting aside what's come to be known about Jesus and ideas that have been propagated in the name of Christ and instead looking to connect and understand the person himself, looking at context, looking at who is this character of Yeshua, this person of Yeshua, a Jewish man himself, Jesus was a mystic really, who knew and loved God very deeply and had this profound impact on the world. What does he represent as a symbol or an idea that I could perhaps connect with or tap into and the same can be said for the great avatars and beings across every form of religion that there is this different way of approaching how we connect with them rather than looking at what we can be told about them instead looking into how can I connect with the symbol of this person with the energy of this person and what they represent Richard Rohr, in his book, A Spring Within Us, writes that a mystic simply means one who has moved from mere belief systems or belonging systems to actual inner experience. So he's saying that you're not someone who's just going through the motions of carrying out religious habits or of claiming to have spiritual knowledge. But you're having a genuine experience of connection with that beautiful and benevolent divine presence. You're really feeling that for yourself. And he goes on to say that at their most mature level, even formal religions and him being a Christian mystic, he's particularly talking about Christianity. They agree that this state of personal connection with the divine is accessible to everyone. This state of seeing as the mystic is accessible to everyone. And I had a boyfriend about 10 years ago who said to me when I started to become curious and identify with this idea of being a mystic myself, you can't just be a mystic. That's a title that's reserved for certain people who reach certain elevated states of being. And... What he said was certainly true historically. For example, we know lots of the people that I've named, for example, Teresa of Avila. She was revered as a mystic and poet saint, not only because of her beautiful writing, but because she was accredited with these amazing feats like levitating. And from where I stand now, whether or not she could levitate is really irrelevant compared to the fact that despite her incredible connection to God and her spiritual insight and what she was able to share through her writing, she still experienced great suffering and fell into all the traps of humanness in her lifetime. She was still a human like you or I. And this to me is the most important part of who and what a mystic is. 
because there is a growing awareness now that in fact anyone can be a mystic it isn't a pedestal that you climb up onto or that you need to be placed upon by someone else there is no hierarchy that exists within mystical spirituality because it's a way of seeing that is unique and individual to that person and this is why mystic spirituality fills me with so much enthusiasm for our future because it offers us a way forward from what has become really limited about formal religion as we've known it in the past. So it might be for you, for example, that you feel a really deep connection to the earth, to Mother Nature, and this connection forms the basis of your spiritual life and your connection to God as source. Or it might be that by becoming a parent or accessing some form of creativity, you feel a connection to the creator and the way that life is created through you. And this forms the basis of your spiritual life and your connection to God as source. We can then take that felt sense of connection to the divine that we feel and use that lived experience as the lens through which we explore the stories and the practices of formal religion and all of what is offered there, drawing on some of those really potent forms of connection like prayer, offering, ritual, creating altars, sacred language, gestures. This mystical approach allows us even to cultivate our very own practices in a way that feels relevant and meaningful to us. And in this way, it gives us an opportunity to not just know or believe something about the idea of God or a possible God, but to actually have a lived experience of connecting with God. And you've maybe heard someone you know say, or even yourself have said something along the lines of, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, or I'm not religious, but I do have certain beliefs about afterlife or the meaning of life, for example. And we now have a whole generation or even more if you consider your own family, for example, where perhaps even into the third generation or more of this now of people who have grown up feeling a real need to turn away from formal religion because it's too rigid or narrow-minded or too conservative to meet the needs of our times. We would much rather be undefined than be ordained in traditions that don't fit our individuality. Yet... We still have this curiosity and a pull towards something that gives our life, our suffering, the beauty that we see, the joy that we feel. We have a pull towards something that gives all of those experiences more meaning. And we even have a pull towards the sense of belonging that comes from being in a spiritual community who shares our ideas and our beliefs about the divine. I particularly want to emphasize this idea of giving meaning to our suffering or finding solace through suffering because that's what draws most people towards a spiritual path. We are often looking to spirituality to make meaning of suffering. So there is an innate pull towards practices that relieve suffering, practices that are centering like yoga and meditation, practices that are devotional and heart opening like chanting, yet we often don't wish to identify with the totality of what a religious tradition or even 
a formal spiritual community, even perhaps for some of us, the idea of like really identifying with the community of a yoga studio can be too much because everything that it represents is not in alignment with what to you is the sacred heart of your spirituality, or perhaps because some of the rules and the ways of being of that institution feel outdated to you or not inclusive to you. We see this with a lot of people who are choosing to still baptize or christen their babies or carry out some sort of naming ritual despite themselves not identifying with the religion. It's as if we know on some level that there is something valuable within the tradition, within the ritual, that we do want to honor what is sacred, but we don't necessarily know how or feel empowered to bring sacred practices into our life outside of those confines of what formal religion offers and walking the path of the mystic is perhaps something that can move us into a place of embodying a sense of the sacred within ourself feeling more comfortable in our own sense of spirituality And therefore, we're more able to reclaim those rituals and symbols and stories that religious texts and spiritual groups have passed down for centuries because we can feel at home within them and we can feel worthy of integrating them into our own life. So how do we shift ourselves into this way of seeing and living our life as a mystic? There is a teaching called third eye seeing, which possibly sounds quite new age, but is actually a term that was being used by Christian mystics as far back as the 11th century, so about a thousand years ago. They talk about these three ways of seeing. There's first eye seeing, which is just to be relying on the senses. So this is almost quite animalistic in a way, a most basic way of perceiving the world just through what the senses can perceive and acting accordingly. We could consider that almost like seeing with only one eye, so not much capacity for peripheral vision or depth perception. And you can perhaps take that as a metaphor. Second eye seeing then integrates the mind. We receive information and facts. We store knowledge about the world that is taught to us and we carry out some basic analysis on the world based on that information in combination with what our senses perceive. When we see with two eyes like this, we become very good at predicting what will happen based on past experiences. We become very good at keeping ourselves safe and anticipating what's going to happen and maintaining a very neat and tidy mental picture of how the world and all things in it should be and are. This is our default, really, in the day-to-day experience of surviving as a thinking human Seeing as a mystic invites us into third eye seeing. It invites us to look beyond just the information that we are receiving, to look beyond what can be learned about the world by analysing it or rote learning facts about it. It asks us to look even beyond just the information that can be perceived by the sense organs, which is not always so reliable. Through the third eye, 
the mystical eye, we can not only sense and analyze, but we tap into an openness within ourselves to understand more deeply. So through this openness of the third way of seeing, we can begin to more deeply understand life in a way that transcends those limitations of rational thinking or human conditioning. So where there is that limitation of there is only so far that the rational mind will allow us to move there is only so far that our senses will allow us to move in terms of perceiving the world in an elevated expanded way the third eye is what allows us to go beyond that it's the place where we can become visionary which means we are not just concerned with what is right in front of us but also and perhaps more so with what else is possible what else is available that is currently unseen or at least not able to be seen by me from where I sit right now but what might be possible because we're looking to see beyond what is plainly in front of us faith is central to the mystical path it's an act of faith to believe in the beauty and benevolence of that divine presence when we cannot necessarily see it or feel it. In fact, if we take a look around the world, there is a lot going on that is far from beautiful and benevolent. This is the ultimate case made by the cynic. You know, if God is so great, then why are people dying? Why is there war? Why is there suffering? All of these are excellent questions that if we truly want to answer, they require us to enter into a contemplation that goes beyond what we can perceive through our senses or our rational mind. In other words, it's a question that can't hope to be answered until we allow ourselves to open into that more receptive place of inquiry. Those other ways of seeing first eye, second eye are too limited to be able to contemplate a question like that. John of the Cross, who was a 16th century Spanish mystic who really suffered perhaps more than any other at the hands of the dominant religious group at his time, he wrote, If a man wishes to be sure of the road he treads on, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. In other words, a spiritual life requires us to walk into the unknown. We must be willing to abide in a space of not knowing if we want to have a deeper understanding of life and a deeper connection to God. So that that question that arises from the cynic, cynicism, negativity, resentment, they're not compatible with a mystical life because they negate the opening that is required to see beyond what is in front of us. And this isn't to be confused with toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing the idea is not to pretend to only be feeling trusting and faithful and connected to the divine to only be feeling positive emotions or having positive experiences but instead to be drawing on the teachings and the practices of the teachers who've gone before us who do see in this third eye way to draw on those teachings to work through the ups and downs of human life as they arise and subside By definition, for a mystic, there can be no absolutes or universal truths, only ideas and insights that we can meet and understand from our present level of consciousness. And so always what is true on one level will be untrue on another. And this has become really apparent through 
even Instagram spirituality where someone can post a picture or tell on Instagram saying something like, you are the creator of your own reality. And this catch cry, which can be so uplifting to one person who reads it and thinks, wow, yes, I am the creator of my own reality. And they feel inspired by that. But in that very same moment, another perceives that as triggering or shaming because they are rightly concerned more so with the systems and structures that oppress people and prohibit people from creating their own reality. And perhaps that's their experience right now. So the mystical path is the one that says both and. It doesn't say, no, that is the universal truth. It says both and. Both the suffering and restriction and oppression of the outer world and also the freedom and potential within the individual soul. So both that earthy and raw longing for God when we feel separation and also that sweet transcendent peace of connection with God when we don't feel separation. So we embrace as the mystic, we embrace completely that paradox that exists always, just in the same way that we must embrace the fleeting nature of every experience. Mirabai Star, who's a beautiful modern mystic author, she writes that, For the mystic, contemplative life is not so much a matter of transcending the illusions of mundane existence or attaining states of perfect equanimity as it is about becoming as fully present as possible to the realities of the human experience. In showing up for what is, no matter how pedestrian or tedious, how aggravating or shameful, the what is begins to reveal itself as imbued with holiness. How do we make space in our lives for this kind of sacred seeing? I would love to know, do you identify with this path of the mystic? Does this feel like a way of being that you were already embodying Does it feel like a way of seeing the world that was already apparent to you? It's just perhaps given some language to it. I would love to know how you walk the mystical path and where you find it useful to draw upon the teachings of the past. I hope this brief exploration gives you greater freedom to explore the practices and traditions that you're curious about and hopefully reveals a little more about how mystic spirituality can be a powerful tool for liberation, not only for us as individuals, but collectively. I'm Anavaga, and this is Worlds Within. <laughs>